At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 120. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. I personally believe from my conversations and my observation is that people don't want to teach something they have a personal conflict with. It's not a scientific-based conflict. It's literally a personal conflict. Hello, hello, veggie lovers. Well, I have a really fun episode of Veggie Doctor Radio for you today. I am speaking to a third-year Canadian medical student who is creating change, creating structural, ground-level change in the medical school curriculum at his medical school. And I'm so proud of him and literally so impressed because, wow, even just to be a medical student to begin with is hard enough, but then advocating for change and doing extra work because you know that it's the right thing to do. I'm really, really impressed. So I'll tell you about my guest in just a little bit. In case you don't know, I have lots of cool freebies, PDF downloads that have been super popular and really helpful for a lot of people. How to replace meat in your diet, how to replace dairy, an eating out guide, shopping list, plant-based shopping list, and more. You can find them at dryami.com forward slash free. That's spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash free. Take one, take them all. Hope you enjoy them. In addition, if you want to support my podcast as well as my YouTube channel, Veggie Doctor TV, there is two ways to do that. You can become a patron. I have three levels, a $5 level, $15, and $20 level. You can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the Dr. Yami, all spelled out and together. 
As a patron, you get special perks that nobody else gets access to, like special exclusive content, Q&As with me every month, fan requests, those kinds of things. So thank you so much for supporting me and for being part of the community. In addition, if you just want to buy things like we all do, or need to add to your appliances that make life easier, or just want to see what kind of things I like having, then go to dryami.com forward slash shop. And this is a list of all of my favorite things, many of which I have affiliate relationships with. So if you purchase through that link, then I will get a small percentage back and that helps support the show, improve the quality, the content, and just give you more. So those are two ways that you can support the show. And of course, the best way is to subscribe to my podcast, keep listening, keep sharing, leave me a rating and a review. I will give you a shout out on the show. I love it. So thank you so much. So, so, so much for being a loyal listener of Veggie Doctor Radio. I appreciate you. I hope that you loved the pediatric series. And yeah, give me feedback. Let me know what you want to learn about next year when I do the next pediatric series. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult your medical professional. Okay, so this episode, I speak with Muzamil Ahmad, and he is a third-year medical student at the University of Alberta in Canada. So cool. But before he even went to medical school, he got a bachelor's in business. He worked at a nonprofit for a year, the Mental Health Commission of Canada. And then he worked in oil and gas for a few years in finance and marketing. Wow. I mean, that is so different from medicine. But he found himself maybe not feeling as fulfilled as he wanted to. So he went and he got a master's in psychology in the UK, got certified in nutrition, and now he is shaking things up at his medical school, creating change, influencing others, and really advocating for what he thinks is right, which is health and well-being, longevity, feeling better living that life of our dreams. I love how he's doing these things. In addition, he's also traveled to 40 countries. I don't know in what time he's done this in, but he also has passion for fitness, cooking, traveling, and photography. I know you're just going to love Muzamil and everything that he's doing. It's just a really fun conversation. I hope that it inspires you. If you know somebody that's in medical school or, you know, even somebody that's in nutrition school to become a dietitian, I think that this would be a great episode for them to listen to. So please share it. I hope that you enjoy it. And now on to the episode. Muzamil Ahmad, thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, Congratulations and great work on your podcast. You're doing fantastic things. So I'm excited to talk about that. But before we get to that, 
I want to know about your background and your history. How did you discover plant-based nutrition? What part has it played in your life? Tell me a little bit more about your story. All right. Um, so speaking about nutrition, I was kind of always into nutrition for a very long time. Okay, I shouldn't say always. Back in high school, I was overweight, which kind mm -hmm. of got me interested in nutrition. And then I got into fitness. So to me, nutrition was, you know, the typical eat your chicken breast and broccoli and a bit of fruit. And I used to think that healthy diet involved like looking fit and having a good physique which I was able to get with that diet. And that's what I always thought was healthy. Like if you're looking good, if you have muscle and you're getting your protein, you're getting your bit of your veggies, then you're eating a healthy diet. And for the longest time, that's kind of what I believed in. But then as, um, so just to add a bit here, I don't uh, come from a typical nutrition or health background. I used to be in oil and gas. So I have a business background. Um, oh. So never really had a focus on science up till that point. So I'll be completely honest. Like I was just reading nutrition blogs to learn about nutrition for the longest mm -hmm. time. And mm -hmm. they always talked about a high protein diet, which is what I focused on. And like I said, I was able to get the physique I wanted. Um, but I never felt as good as I personally believed I could feel. So I just kept going and I tried, you know, different diets here and there that I would read online. I've been on the paleo diet. I've been on the keto diet and nothing kind of clicked with me hundred percent. I was always skeptical about these diets, but I would do them anyway as an experiment because I like to experiment on myself. And um, yeah, so when I got into, so I came into med school with the mindset that I want to learn why we get sick. I'm going to learn how to help people prevent that. And when I was going through my medical journey, um, my first year of med school, I remember like there just wasn't much of a discussion on that. And mm -hmm. I was kind of hoping not only to help my patients, but also myself by learning things through med school. And I just felt like every solution they gave was always a medication or drug or potentially a surgery. And I've had in the past, a lot of health problems. Like I had constant migraines. Um, I had eczema. I had really bad acne, um, constant fatigue syndrome. And I was seeing doctors for that to a point that doctors kept doing tests and kept telling me I'm fine to a point that they said, maybe you need antidepressants. Maybe that's what's going mm -hmm. on. Maybe you just have undiagnosed depression. And I never took the antidepressants because I generally believed that that wasn't it because my mood mm -hmm. was overall fine. Um, so anyway, I kept going through my medical journey and then just, uh, first year and not finding any answers. And I remember one of the lectures in the cardiology block, the cardiologist was like, look at the person to your right, look at the person to your left. You've looked at two people. One of them is going to get heart disease. Hmm. And that was it. And then he just moved on. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the reality. The end. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was no discussion on why that is. Um, how can we prevent that? It was more so that's it. And then he just went on to treatment options. He, I remember him even mentioning that children by the age of 10 get plaques in their arteries. But again, not like, is that normal? Like, should they get plaques by that age? None of that. It was very definitive. Very. These are the facts. And then these are the treatment options. I remember leaving that class very confused, upset, and frustrated. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, you know what? 
I already don't feel well and I'm not liking, like, obviously I want to learn about all these treatment options. So people, I can help them, but I also want to know why this is happening. Is it just supposed to happen? Are we just supposed to be sick and then just always need treatment? So kind of looking for myself as well. Like I said, I was, that was the time I also saw the doctor and he was like, maybe you should try antidepressants. And I was like, um, I want to, I kind of want to look on my own, what I can find. And that's when I delved into nutritional literature. So it was um, beginning of, it was begin, uh, it was like uh, middle of my first year med school uh, during the cardiology block. And then I started looking and then I, the more I looked, the more surprised I got that one, like the protein myth that I had was we don't need that much protein. And then how all the nutrition articles I was reading, these are not uh, blogs anymore. These are scientific peer-reviewed journal articles that I was reading. They all talk about more plants and more carbs. And I always had this fear of carbs, just like a lot of people. And it really opened my mind. And then I was like, okay, I want to look at heart disease because that's what had frustrated me. And when I looked at that, that again was like, okay, the only diet to actually have shown to reverse heart disease in the majority of people was once again, plant-based diet. It really boggled my mind, but that's when I was like, okay, you know what? Um, I want to give this a try. I, like, I was pretty convinced. I would, you know, just like a lot of people who are into fitness, I was worried about like my muscle gains. And then I ended up finding a lot of athletes. Um, at that time, Game Changers wasn't out there. So I just did my own search and I found a lot of athletes who were plant-based. And then I was pretty convinced. And that's kind of how I discovered plant-based. And then I don't get migraines anymore. My skin has cleared up. My eczema is gone. I wouldn't say it's 100% gone. I would say 99% gone because I did have one flare, but it was very mild. Um, and yeah, like I don't have the constant fatigue. I don't need coffee anymore. So it's been a wow. great discovery. And that's wow. kind of what was, I, that's where I was like, you know what? I need to now want to help other medical students learn this. Yeah. Well, I commend you because you were in medical school already, which is tough, you know, because I've been through it. There's a lot to learn. There's, you, you know, just trying to focus on what they're trying to teach you seems like enough, but you were curious. You wanted to find more answers that you felt weren't given to you. And then yeah. you delved even deeper into things that weren't being directly fed to you, taught to you, you know? So, wow, that's amazing. Thank but you. I want to go back to the beginning. So I want to point this out because I feel like this is so true when you talked about how like the typical like diet was chicken and broccoli, you know, like the healthy, the healthy diet that's prescribed if you want to lose weight or get fit, chicken, broccoli, skim milk, yeah. low fat yogurt, <laughs> you know, like that's like, <laughs> that that's like diet. the diet. <laughs> and, then whey, and then obviously whey protein, cause you know, you need it for the gains. So. Oh yeah. You need extra protein <laughs> for those gains. Um, and then whenever you talked about wanting to feel better, was it because of these issues that you were having? Like you were, you felt fit, like you felt like you got, you, you were appearing the way you wanted to appear, but inside you weren't feeling, you knew that there was something not right. You were having exactly. migraines, your skin wasn't right. You were like, something's off here. Absolutely. A lot of people don't see that because they will look at pictures of people online on Instagram, on social media. And they're like, oh my God, these people look amazing. And a lot of the times when I've spoken to these people, they're not always feeling best. They mm -hmm. look good. And I was the same. I looked great, but I wasn't feeling best. I wasn't feeling best mentally. And I know I had my health problems. 
And so it's really important that just because you look good on the outside doesn't mean you're healthy on the inside. They're two different things. Well, and I want to take the reverse of that too, because we do put so much on appearance and, and this is something that this is my bag. Okay. This is my little platform here, but I feel like we do the opposite as well. We see somebody who maybe doesn't have that perfect, you know, 21 to 22 BMI with a six pack. And we're like, obviously they're doing something wrong. There must be something unhealthy about that person, but they may have the health and well-being that they desire. So I think it's important on both sides not to judge based on appearance, because whenever we take this person who may not match our cultural ideal, what we think people should look like when they're healthy. And we pressure them into dieting, then they will. They're going to fall into the keto trap. They're going to fall into the starving themselves, bulimia, all these things in order to try to appear like they're healthy, even though before they may have had that health and well being they wanted. So I think that this is a really important point. Yeah. All right. So really glad you brought that up because I don't know if I have ever told you, but my thesis for my master's in psychology was actually on body image. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so I've learned a lot through that. And I absolutely agree with you because because uh, of these social ideals we have, a lot of people think being healthy means a six pack and, you know, really good physique. But honestly, now when I look at someone to see if they're healthy, I always look at what they're eating rather than how mm-hmm. they look, because that is so much more important than what they look on the outside because not everyone needs a six pack. I think no one needs a six pack to be completely honest with you. It's like it has <laughs> Thank no you. Thank real you. purpose. <laughs> it has no real purpose. <laughs> like you should be healthy, you should be fit. And if you want to go for that look for yourself, not to make other people happy, then you should. But no one needs it to be healthy. You can be yes. healthy as long as you're within a healthy BMI. Exactly. And, and yeah, there's no shame. Like, you know, there's people that do body competitions and people that whatever, there's no shame in it. I just think I want people to think about it a little bit more. Like, why do you want to be a certain size and weight? And is it worth the expense of possibly affecting your mental health, you know, and, or your, your physical health? Because like I said, some people fall into the trap of like, okay, I know I can lose weight if I just go on this super high fat diet. Yeah, you're going to lose weight. Maybe you're going to look good on the inside, but what's going to happen? Your cholesterol is going to go up and you're going to feel like crap, you know? So maybe thinking about those things a little bit. I think, I think as physicians, we need to start thinking that way too, because we pressure people into like, okay, your BMI is not right. So you need to do something to fix that. And sometimes we lead people astray in that way. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, that's super interesting, but let's talk about a little step back. So you said you started doing like completely different things at the beginning of your career. So what actually prompted you to want to go into medicine? What was what was that thing that made it like, okay, now I'm going to do this super hard thing and go to med school and be like, you know, miserable. Oh, and also <laughs> I just want to say that I'm impressed that you didn't accept the fact, you know, like you didn't accept like you're just depressed. Because I feel like most medical students probably are a little bit depressed. So you're like, no, I'm not depressed. There's something else going on here. So Yeah, because I wasn't. I chose, like, I'm almost 30 now. I chose to be in med school much later in life. Like, it was mm-hmm. a very conscious de- decision. And I'm very happy to be here. So I knew it wasn't awesome. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, going back to it. So I, so it's funny because when I was a kid, I remember always being like, I want to be a doctor. 
I don't uh-huh. know how along the way that got dropped. Um, in undergrad, I so I do have an entrepreneurial mindset. So because of that, my dad was like, you should do a business degree. So I never kind of considered MET as an option after mm-hmm. that. I did my business degree and then I moved into oil and gas and um, it was good. Like I was initially in the finance department then in the marketing department, but I never felt happy. That's okay. Maybe I was depressed then to be completely honest when I was in the oil and gas industry because my nature is wanting to help people and is to yeah. work with people, work for people. And mm-hmm. I wasn't getting that. Um, there are a lot of people who do an amazing job in the oil and gas industry and they're happy, but I wasn't. I was getting good pay. I was getting seven weeks of vacation and yet wow. I wasn't happy. So that's when I decided to pull the plug and I was like, I need to start from scratch. So after having worked for over three years, I quit my job. And I actually went backpacking from New Zealand to Japan um, just to figure myself out. I know as cliche as that sounds. Um, (laughs) So that's when I realized, again, medicine didn't click then because it was just so far from business for medicine to ever click in my mind right away. One thing I knew was I was always passionate about mental health. My first job was, uh, my first like corporate job was in nonprofit Mental Health Commission of Canada. Um, and I did, I've done a lot of mental health related work on a volunteering basis. So when I was traveling, one thing I realized was I love meeting people and listening to the stories. And then, you know, I wouldn't even know them and they would just start opening up to me and talking to me about their problems. And these are random people I'm meeting in youth hostels. So I was like, you know what? I don't know if I truly want to be a psychologist. Maybe I do, but I do want to do masters in something mental health related just to increase my knowledge and maybe if I, whatever I decide to do, I can u- utilize it. So that's when I moved to the UK and did my master's in psychology. And I loved it. That was the first time I have ever enjoyed studying, to be completely honest. And that kind of opened the door to medicine because I ended up meeting a lot of physicians through that. And I had the dilemma of wanting to do PhD in psychology or medicine. And one thing I realized was, as much as I love mental health, I also love other things. Like, um, I lo- uh, you know, nutrition um, and just wanting to t- look at a person from a more holistic point of view and wanting to help them from that view. And that's when I was like, okay, you know, maybe medicine is the right fit for me. It's more holistic. And I did not have a science background. Last time I'd done science was high school. So I had to go back to undergrad, take some post-bac science program and then do that. And then I applied to med school and got in um, my top choice. So I was very fortunate. Wow. Congratulations. What a journey. So no, I love that because I agree. I actually wasn't depressed in medical school. I'm just joking. I loved medical school because it was something that I had wanted for my entire life since I was so little. And I was just so happy to be there. And it sounds like you found your calling or you've, you've come back full circle to it, right? Like you started there and then you had to have all these other experiences, but I really believe that all the experiences we have in our life, it just makes for a richer experience that gives us empathy in so many ways. Absolutely. And having that that master's in psychology is so incredibly helpful in medicine. I think that more doctors need to understand psychology more, you know, I agree with you. Um, because it helps so much to relate to our patients, understand where they're coming from, but also take more of that coaching perspective rather than this expert perspective of like, you do what I say, you'll get better, you know, be a compliant patient or whatever, you know? 
Have you decided yet what you want to specialize in? Or are you still open about that? So I came in thinking psychiatry mainly because I had my master's in psych and I loved mental health. But I, um, after shadowing a lot, um, I am leaning more and more and more towards general practice. Mm-hmm. because like I said, I want to be able to help a patient from a more holistic point of view and also want to be able to help them prevent disease and general practice is where that belongs. But I do plan on doing more of a lifestyle medicine focused uh, clinic with uh, multidisciplinary as it's bec- it seems to be becoming more common in the US, but we only have handful in Canada. So mm-hmm. I want to practice in Vancouver and they don't have even one right now there. So hopefully oh, wow. I can, yeah, so hopefully I can open my first one once I'm done with my entire like uh, educational journey. Um, and that's what I want to do. I want to have a lifestyle medicine focus uh, with a multidisciplinary approach so I can have like a uh, psychologist there and like whatever I need in that one practice to help people from a more holistic point of view. I love that. That's so beautiful. Well, you know, you've kind of already started to talk about some of the realizations you've had going through med school, but what do you think has been the most surprising thing to you so far in your medical school journey? And what year are you again? So I'm starting my third year now, so I'm going into my clerkship. Okay. Okay. Um, So what so far in the first couple of years, what's been the most surprising thing? Um, So one of them is, I think that's going to not come to me surprise to anyone but the amount of knowledge like the amount we need to learn I don't think I've ever had to learn that much and what's even more surprising is how we are actually able to do it like you look at it and you're like there's no way I'm going to be able to do it but somehow you're able to fit that in your brain and be able to go take the exams that are needed which is shocking to me because that just shows the power of your brain Mm -hmm. Um, but the other thing is on a more of a sadder note is the little focus they have on prevention, mm-hmm. um, which goes back to the lack of focus on nutrition. Um, nutrition is always brushed, or maybe there will be one slide on it. Um, I remember one lecture even like had, there's so much research, research on like the negatives of TMAO. In the entire med school, I remember that being not mentioned. It was on one slide in the corner of one slide that the professor just skipped over. <laughs> like there was a picture of meat and eggs and TMAO written on it on the nutrition slide with a bunch of other random things on it. And then he just skipped the TMAO part and he spent maybe 30 seconds on the nutrition uh, slide and that's it. And that is so shocking to me because now having learned that, I'm like, why wasn't I taught that? Like it was on the slide. So I think that's been the most shocking thing for me is lack of, you know, focus on prevention and nutrition. Yeah. And just so the listeners know that TMAO, trimethylamine oxide. Um, so that's almost like a feedback mechanism. And you can have TMAO produced by your gut bacteria and it increases your risk of chronic disease, such as heart disease. And we know that eating certain foods and cooking them in certain ways can increase our exposure to TMAO. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
So why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that in medical school, it's prevention and nutrition and, and these kinds of things aren't really discussed? So it's interesting because they discuss exercise a lot, which is great because, you know, I'm really into exercise. But when it comes to nutrition, I think there's a lot of, it's, there's few factors in there. One is it's just not part of the medical curriculum. No one is going and updating it and upgrading it. Another factor is a lot of doctors are not taught it. So when it comes to them teaching it, they're just not comfortable teaching it because they don't know what to teach and they are too scared to teach the wrong thing because they haven't done their own research. And other thing is, if they teach something like, let's say, plant-based nutrition, that would contradict with their own eating habits. Yes. And no one wants to teach that because most of the doctors will probably be okay taking metformin if needed. But most of these doctors will not be okay cutting out meat if needed. Yeah. And it that is, I personally believe from my conversations and my observation is that people don't want to teach something they have a personal conflict with. It's not a scientific-based conflict. It's literally yeah. a personal conflict. Yes. And and that's why it's not taught that often. Yeah. No, and I and I'm just imagining because I wasn't plant-based when I was in medical school. So it would be interesting to go back and sit there and observe these things, but I imagine that there's a lot of cognitive dissonance, right? That it just just blocks it from the beginning. So you see this picture of meat and eggs and there's part of your brain that believes that truly does believe that we need that for our health, you know, because that's something that's been taught for a long time. And so contradicting that with like, yeah, but it also increases your risk of chronic disease. It, it, it's a conflict. It's a direct conflict. So it's better to just not mention it <laughs> you know, yeah. because that's very uncomfortable to have that cognitive dissonance there. Our worst is when, for example, um, you, may, you probably know that the new Canadian food guide that came out, I believe, beginning of 2019, took out dairy as yes. a category of food which is so phenomenal. And yet when the dietitian that was supposed to be trained in nutrition was teaching um, the new Canadian food guide, the first thing she said was she's not happy that the dairy was taken out. And her reasoning was, what are we going to tell children to drink now? Cause they need their calcium. And my mind was just like, you're a dietitian and you're teaching the Canadian food guide. Like you should have looked at why they took it out instead of like now teaching these medical students not to believe in this new Canadian food guide. Because the Canadian food guide is doing its job, but now if that's, it's not being taught accurately, then medical students are going to come out not believing it and telling the patients to follow it. So it just yes. goes back to the whole thing. Like If they don't want to follow it themselves, it's really hard for them to accept the new truth. Yeah. No, and that's actually one of the things I was going to ask you about, because I think that that's so progressive that Canada took the dairy. I mean, I love it. I love seeing that picture with just the glass of water. I'm like, yes. Yeah. And you may have heard that in the United States, they recently, the committee, the nutrition committee here, they're doing the next set of guidelines for us. Mm -hmm. And Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and lots of other organizations have been lobbying to try to get the dairy out for so yeah. many reasons. And one of the most obvious being that, especially for some ethnic groups, lactose intolerance can be upwards yes. 90, 95% uh, prevalence in some of these populations. So it doesn't make sense to keep pushing three servings per day of dairy, yeah. but it didn't happen this time. So they it's have so voted to keep it in. So we're not going to be progressive like the Canadians, where at least it seems like you guys are making progress compared to 
to us. Um, well, let's talk about your podcast, the Plant Prescription Podcast. So where did you get this idea? How did this come about? And, and tell me a little bit about your co-host as well. For sure. So I'm going to take a step back. So after I became plant-based, um, midway through my first year of med school, that's when I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to keep learning about this on my own for now. I wanted to make sure I had all the answers to the typical questions people ask before even like trying to teach anyone. So I did my due diligence and I also did, uh, we get four months off after our first year. So people usually, no average human being would probably take one job during that time. I took a full summer uh, research job and then also a full four months nutrition certification at the same time. Wow. <laughs> so um, having the nutrition certification has really allowed me to fully, uh, to not fully, I wouldn't say that, but like to understand nutrition in depth and to be able to read nutrition articles uh, appropriately. So I really wanted to do that before I even tried to talk about this with anyone else. So near the end of the summer, I, I had a meeting with the associate dean of our med school. And I was like, okay, we need to be raising awareness about this. I really want one, like the medical curriculum to change. I told her, I'm like, it needs to change. I'm like, the research is out there. I didn't know it was out there because med school isn't teaching it, but it's out there. I can show you. And then I also told her we need, um, we need to figure this out. And then she told me, she's like, okay, you know what? I believe you. Cause I showed her so much research. So she's like, I believe you. Um, but it takes a long time for the medical curriculum to change. So maybe next summer. So that would be this current summer. She was like next summer, maybe you can take on a summer job where you can critique the current nutrition curriculum within the medical curriculum and re recommend suggestions to change it. I was like, okay, that's cool. That's 12 months away and I can't wait that long. I still want to make a change. So what can I do? So I was like, I asked her, I'm like, can I start a nutrition club? We don't have any nutrition club on our campus. I would like to start the first plant-based nutrition club. And then so I had to like, you know, talk to a bunch of people. I got funding for that and approval for that. And I did have the podcast idea in my mind, but I was like, you know, step by step. So I got that going, started having... um and lunch talks with dietitians and showing documentaries like what the health and game changers. And that's where a lot of people from my class have either gone fully plant-based or I would say like predominantly plant-based. So he has, so hopefully upcoming doctors, you know, there will be a lot of plant-based options for patients. Um, so that's where at one of the events, Cass, who's my co-host for the podcast, she approached me and she's like, I love what you're doing. She's a year below me. So she's like, I would love to join uh, your club. and then. I added her and then now we've been running the club together. And then I told her, I'm like, I have this idea of starting a podcast. Um, I was thinking about doing it alone, but since we mesh really well, I think it'd be a good idea for us to do it together. So a bit about her, she she's also like me. She didn't come into med school right away. She used to be a personal trainer and she has done a lot of other things. She's a vegan athlete. She's a Muay Thai fighter. Um, so she has been plant-based, I believe, for five, six years. So much longer than I have. And yeah, so we, um, so during the year before I even talked with the podcast, I, I started taking notes for every time something's wrong was said about nutrition. Mm. I know in one of the psychiatry lectures, we were taught that vegans are more not likely to get all the nutrients, more likely to be depressed. Uh, they, there's no way they can get enough tryptophan and things like that, that were just not based on science that were literally, there were no references for it. And I just start taking notes of every such thing. And I would just email the associate dean and I'd be like, 
this is exactly why we need to fix the nutrition curriculum. And then I will send her so many scientific, like peer-reviewed articles for her to read or, uh, that will show otherwise. So eventually she was like, you know what? Fine, fine. Just tell me what you want to do. I will support you. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I want to start a podcast. I want to raise awareness about this on a higher level to other medical staff, medical students. And she's like, okay, do it. Um, so got funding for that. And that's where Cass and I started our podcast. And then right away, so our med school has two associate deans. The second associate dean has her own podcast. It's Pete's Cases. It's all about pediatric cases, medical cases. And um, she got the wind of what we're doing. And then she approached us and she's like, can you guys come on my podcast and do an entire episode on plant-based nutrition for kids? Because you guys are very knowledgeable about this. And her podcast is way bigger than ours. It has more than a million views. And so we did an episode for her uh, about plant-based nutrition for kids. And apparently it's been one of the top episodes. Uh, wow, I didn't know that. I have yeah. to check that one out. Yeah, that's a super popular podcast. I didn't yeah. know that was out of Canada. Yeah. So cool. It's out of uh, my school, which is so cool. It's like my associate dean, like our associate dean who, who created that podcast. And that is so neat. Yeah. So then now we have our own podcast. Luckily, we have the support of both of the associate deans for our podcast and our nutrition club and um and now Cass who's my co-host she took on the project to change the medical curriculum or nutrition curriculum she's working this summer to literally critique everything that's wrong and then recommending changes and if all her changes go through then the nutrition and medical curriculum for our school is going to be very plant-based friendly wow wow i am i'm so impressed well i want to say first of all i want to point out there's a reason you, just like I said at the beginning, there's a reason you have the experiences you did before you came to med school because you are an entrepreneur. You don't take no for an answer. <laughs> I could just imagine, I could just imagine that the dean every time she opens her email and sees, oh my God, it's him again. <laughs> Fine, do what you want. <laughs> you know, I love it because it's true. I think I'm like that too, obviously. Yeah. I own my own business, I didn't last too long as an employee, because I like to be able to make changes mm -hmm. and make changes that make sense quicker than years. You know what I'm saying? So I love how you just went in there and you're like, I see a problem. This could potentially help a lot of people because what we learn as physicians, we take out into the public and we touch thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of lives as physicians together collectively. So what I mean, what a wonderful project that you've Thank you. taken on. And so that's been so good. So what do you find, what's the part that is most gratifying for you? What are you most proud of for all of this? With starting the nutrition club and the podcast, what, what's like something that really lights you up? It lights me up. I think it's the fact that I feel like I'm finally doing something where I'm making a difference. Because like I said, when I was in my previous jobs, I did not feel like that. So when I get these messages from my friends, from my from medical students or anyone who found the podcast or my Instagram account and messages me saying, you have inspired me to go plant based or you inspired me to eat healthier. That just makes my day. And mm -hmm. that's kind of been my goal is to help people be better, be healthier, be best version of themselves. And knowing that someone is working towards that and I played a minuscule role in that just makes me happy. That's so cool. Well, I hope that you guys will be able to share 
what you've done to other medical schools, you know, I mean, I think that that's a, a, just a really big undertaking that you've gone through the curriculum and tried to make changes because that's what I tell people all the time. What I remember the most about nutrition is learning how deadly it can be to not eat meat. Like it was just like, if you don't eat meat, you're basically going to have every deficiency and die. So don't even try to do that. You know? Absolutely. Oh, that still prevails. The amount of times, the amount of professors that have bashed vegans in med school, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I totally hear you. Anything wow. they can see going wrong, they attach it to vegans. <laughs> Must be because they're vegan, you yeah. know? <laughs> All right. Well, tell me, what would be your wildest dream come true when it comes to medical education and health policy in Canada? Um, that would be having nutrition as a core pillar of medical curriculum, not something you do one slide on in the entire block, but ra rather using it as a core principle, teaching these future doctors that when a patient comes in, start with their diet. Most likely than not, the disease probably progressed from a poor diet. So mm -hmm. start from that and understanding the mechanism. We understand all these mechanisms of drugs. Most of them we probably aren't going to use because most of the diseases we learn, we don't see on a day-to-day -day basis. We see very mm -hmm. few diseases that just we see on a repeated basis. So understanding how nutrition works more from a biochemistry and physiological point of view would be super valuable as a future physician. And if that could be incorporated and we start focusing more on prevention, regardless, like I don't care if you're a cardiologist or if you're just a family doctor. We should all be working for towards preventing disease or preventing further disease. Um, so that would be dream come true for me is for medical curriculum and the way people practice to be more prevention based. Yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense for Canada, yeah. right? Can you explain a little bit about how the Canadian medical system is different from the U.S. medical system? Because it seems to me like places like Canada should be really interested in prevention, you know? They are to an extent. Um, so how it's different is, uh, from my knowledge, is one, everything is covered by the government, by the provincial mm -hmm. government. So every province has their own systems. We, I live in Alberta, so we have something called AHS, Alberta Health Services, and they cover all your expenses for seeing any type of doctor. Um, and any visits and any um, surgeries, your drugs are not covered by it. That for that you usually need insurance unless you are very low income. Then there's like separate programs for that. So you end up having it covered regardless, for the most part. And then dentists are not covered. That's part of insurance. So I hear you. The way they try to always save money is cutting down on the amount of time you give patients. Mm -hmm which is really unfortunate because it's really hard to discuss prevention when you, the more, you know, the more you cut down on the time with patients. So the people up top, they're not thinking from prevention point of view. They're thinking, where can we save money? And their instinct always goes, don't spend too much time with patients, get them out quicker, see more patients. And that's better. Um, hopefully, hopefully that will change in the future, but right now that, yeah, prevention is not huge. Yeah. As, as well, it it's, be. it's because they're not thinking upstream, right? Probably right. also because we are disempowered. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people, and probably this happens to a lot of med school professors too, is the belief that humans can't change. 
that That's we're not going to change our, our dietary uh, habits. We're not willing to change our exercise habits or sleep more that it's just going to be the way it is. So the only way to work within the system without going bankrupt is you have to see a lot of patients for a short amount of time. But if you start thinking upstream, how can we prevent as many surgeries or, you know, uh, trying to do cardiac bypass surgeries or all of these things that could be prevented with our habits and behaviors, diet Mm -hmm. and lifestyle, then you're going to see an effect downstream, you know, but you have to go more upstream. So it just, it makes so much sense to me, but I understand how diet and lifestyle can make a huge difference. If you don't understand it, or if you don't believe that it's possible or that people have a desire to, like, I think even just telling people, like empowering them and saying, listen, you are in more control than you think you are because so many people believe, well, everybody in my family has diabetes and everybody in my family has heart disease. So it's just going to happen to me. That's just the way it is, you know? So just telling the public, hey, you have this ability to change your health destiny, I think would be a huge start in people feeling like they're entitled to this information. They're entitled to have a full disclosure of like, okay, well, you can go on this diabetes drug, you go on metformin, you go on insulin, or you can consider eating more plants. <laughs> you know, which one do you want to do? I have you know? seen it firsthand though, because a lot of because um, I'm not sure about I'm not sure as much about the American curriculum, but in Canada, we're required to shadow a family doctor continuously during the first two years. Mm. So before clerkship starts, we shadow almost like once. It's not a lot, but once a month we shadow a family doctor. Um, and the doctor I shadow, she's great at teaching me and being with patients, but she doesn't never talks about nutrition. And I brought that up a few times with her. And she says the exact same thing that you mentioned. That it's not like they're going to follow. So I told her, I'm like, okay, why don't you let me worry about that? You know, I'm not getting charged anyway. So it doesn't matter if I spend five extra minutes with a patient. Let me just try to see. And she was like, okay. So I started giving out the new Canadian food guide to a lot of the patients and I have started like going over it and I've started talking to them and they do want to make change. A lot of them were like, oh, I did not know uh, diet had much of a role. I was never told I will actually start doing this. And some of them are like, where can I learn more? And then I'll be like, okay, go watch these documentaries. But I have personally seen that if you just give them the information more often than not, they do want to change. There will be few who'll be like, I'm not interested and that's fine. That's yeah you know, autonomy, but a lot of them do want to change if you just give them the information. Uh, I love it. You're like a model med student. (laughs) I'm going to just clone you. There's going to be little Muzumil clones in all med schools in the the whole world. Okay. So what do you wish more people knew? Um, I wish people knew to that not eating animal products won't kill them. (laughs) like that's that's simple as that because that is like i don't think majority of people don't disagree that plant foods are healthy for you it's they don't understand the importance of how much you should be eating of plant foods and how little of animal foods you you should be eating it's about that and i wish people just knew that better and obviously there are a lot i'm also very passionate about mental health so you know focusing on that would be you know, there's like sleeping habits and meditation and stress relieving, spending time with family and stuff. Um, but I think if I could change one thing, it would be like just people realizing that without animal products, you'll still be fine. Yes. And you can thrive. 
and yeah. you can thrive. It's not even just about surviving. It's about Absolutely. thriving. Absolutely. And you can still have a six pack if you want a six pack. Exactly. <laughs> and not a beer. <laughs> I'm talking about your abs. All right. So what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? I think for me, um, it would be exercising regularly because I remember I was not an athletic kid. I was barely into sports growing up. I've always been more into intellectual things and getting into exercise wasn't natural to me. I'm completely being honest here. Um, I was always a bit of a nerdy kid. So growing up, I think it was like realizing that, you know, exercising is not just for fun. You all, it's good for you, which eventually became fun for me later yes. on. Once I started doing it, it became fun, but that's not the mindset I came in with because I just being physically active was not fun for me. Um, but then now I miss it. I generally love playing squash or like exercising, going to the gym or going for a run, um, running less than other things, but still like I enjoy all of that. And I think it's a habit that, you know, you can totally build. You just need to do it. And now I'm willing to go before my classes starts. I'm willing to go first thing in the morning so I don't have to worry about it. And I, and it sets me up for success if I've done it in the morning. I, I feel good that I checked that off. I enjoyed it. And I just feel fresh for the rest of the day. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. How can listeners connect with you if they want to learn more about you or the podcast? Where can they find you? Um, so you can find me on Instagram. I'm very active. Uh, my Instagram handle is dr.plantbased. Um, and you can also find the podcast, Plant, Pre Plant Prescription Podcast, on any major uh, platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatnot. And these are the two main places you can find me. Awesome. Well, the last question, I'm going to change it up a bit because I feel like you could be a, a good example and an inspiration for other med, med students across the country. So what tips do you have for other medical students that are feeling like you did, feeling frustrated about their curriculum, wanting to make changes, wanting to start this revolution from the ground up? Well, first thing is you need to educate yourself. You need to be very educated because if people start poking holes in what you're saying and you don't have a lot of the answers, most likely they will just think you don't know. So I think number one key is if you are passionate about it, learn about it as much as you can. If you want to do a certification, there's a lot of great uh, plant-based nutrition certifications, or you can uh, you know just learn a lot by reading a lot of the scientific journal. And there's a lot of plant-based doctors who are willing to teach you. Um, if you just go to their websites and such. So learn, learn, learn. Once you are educated, then there's a lot of things you can do. You can go to your dean and like start showing them the information. You can start taking notes of anything nutrition that was taught and looking at what was taught. Does it match the actual uh, current research? And then make notes of that, take it with the professor, take it with the associate dean or the actual dean and show that. And honestly, the more you're willing to put effort, a lot of these uh, professors and deans are okay with you taking on these projects if you're willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. They don't have the time, and a lot of the times they don't have the interest. But if someone else is like, I'm willing to do the work for you, they'll be like, okay, you know what? Come do it. Like, I don't mind. And that's what happened at our school. Um, a lot of them are like, you know what? If we don't have to do the work and you can make our curriculum better, like, please go ahead. So be willing to like put the extra effort 
to do the work and most likely than not they will let you do it you just have to be a, you just have to push it Put, yeah. you know <laughs> That's great. No, good job. I think you're you're setting a great example and I thank you so much for what you're doing and I just can't wait to see everything that you do in the coming years and after you graduate, you're just getting started. So, this is going thank to you. be so fabulous to watch you grow and develop and from a little med student <laughs> to a grown-up doctor. So beautiful. Well, Muzamil, this has been so wonderful. Congratulations so far on everything that you've been doing. Thank you for what you do for your med school and all the people that are going to be touched by all of your fellow med students that are learning from you. And yeah, keep it up. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Dr. Yami. It was my pleasure being here and I always love chatting with you. So thank you so much for having me. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.